podcast is coming to you from sunny and glorious Tucson, Arizona. I am your host, Mike Creed. Of course, you fucking know that already. And, uh, I mean, why else would you be listening? This is like you just stumble upon a podcast. Is that possible? You're just, oh, I'm just going to download a thousand podcasts today, like the ch- TV station. Well, someone... I haven't introduced you yet. Sorry. Here, for the first time, you know, I normally do these intros, you know, just for myself, but I have with me my mechanic, Chris Crowder. Chris. You, don't, you don't own me. I, you don't... I'm not your mechanic. You don't own me. You're not my mechanic? So I shouldn't refer to you as my mechanic to anybody? It's just that mechanic? My team's mechanic? Team? My team. You're my mechanic. I guess you own me by association. <laughs> Shit. Seven acres and a mule. <laughs> that should get deleted from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, this week on the podcast... Mike Friedman. Everybody knows Mike Friedman or has heard of Mike Friedman's story. Uh, took a little different turn with the Friedman podcast than you would expect. It's not um, quite as silly, cause, mainly because I'm protecting Mike Friedman. I don't want him getting fired from Optum. Uh, but it was a good, good little chat we had, and I appreciate that you took the time. Uh, this podcast is sponsored by who, Cridle? Colorado Cyclists. Correct. Correct again. Uh, again, people like uh, been really busy with the team, but uh, I really appreciate you guys when you have time to plug Cardo Cyclist and uh, definitely want to get you guys more involved with the podcast and with Cardo Cyclist. And if there's any way that we can, if you guys have any ideas for some promotion or what would get you to uh, order or buy more stuff, become a regular customer of Cardo Cyclist. Let me know. Um, is it giveaways? Is it is it uh, discounts? What is it? Let me know. I mean, do they need to carry something else? Again, I'm gonna repeat myself for the third time. Let me know. Let them know, and uh, hopefully we can keep this relationship going. Cridal. Yeah. Today is. I mean, is it D Day or is tomorrow D Day? I think tomorrow. Yeah, we have few riders and staff showing up today. Um, we balance tomorrow and. Yeah. Straight to work. How do you think camp's gonna turn out? It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be awesome. Everything's great. How much are you gonna laugh at me when I'm a hypocrite to the riders? As much as I do now, <laughs> quite a bit. I just spit on you. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, I know what you think of me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so great. camp's coming up. It's gonna be a good camp. It's gonna be a great camp. Tour California selection is hopefully around the corner somewhere. I would say maybe a 50-50 chance for us, but um, you know, like it really helps when the fans. Again, I'm gonna basically I'm gonna turn everybody listening to this podcast into a little army who just you know bothers people on Twitter at my whim. So if you want to bother a cardo cyclist and Amgen Tour California in a good way, not like. You know the way I bother people <laughs> in a in a uh, civilized, polite manner. Then um, you'll be my friends, and maybe down the line we can start doing handouts. So, Cradle, any last words? You got anything? Well, I think we need to find some place to host videos of the camp's twerking competition. The twerking competition is going to be huge. Oh, thanks for reminding me. Team launch is in Tucson, Arizona, January twenty fifth. 
at 6 p.m. at Arizona Cyclist on Campbell. Everybody here is welcome. Uh, might have some drinks, a little bit of finger food, get to meet the team, short introduction of all the riders, and then the following day uh, at 8.30, Sunday from the same bike shop, they'll in the be morning. In, the mo in the morning. Don't show up at 8.30 at night for a bike ride, because one, that's dangerous, and two, it's cold. So. It gets cold here at night? It, get, it does get cold here at night. Relatively cold when the fireball goes down. Inside joke. Uh, wow, longest rambly <laughs> intro ever. Here's the podcast, everybody. Donnie was a good bowler and a good man. He was, he was one of us. He was a man who loved the outdoors and bowling. And as a surfer, he explored the beaches of Southern California from La Jolla to Leo Carrillo and up to Pismo. He died. He died as so many young men of his generation before his time. In your wisdom, Lord, you took him. As you took so many bright, flowering young men at Quezon, at Londoc, at Hill 364. These young men gave their lives. So did Donnie. Donnie, who loved bowling. And so, Theodore Donald Caravazos, in accordance with what we think your dying wishes might well have been, we commit your final mortal remains to the bosom of the Pacific Ocean, which you love so well. Good night, sweet prince. Dude, I'm sorry. Goddamn wind. Fuck. God damn it, Walter. You fucking asshole. Dude, I'm sorry. I need to fucking travesty with you, man. Dude, I'm sorry. It was an accident. What was that shit about Vietnam? Dude, I'm sorry. What the fuck does anything have to do with Vietnam? Dude, I'm what sorry. the fuck are you talking about? Dude, I'm sorry. Jagged sky. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition my condition was in. I pushed my soul in a deep dark hole and then I followed it in. I watched my
saw so much I broke my mind I just dropped in To see what condition My condition was in I think I'm just gonna get to like one year. I'll get to 52 episodes. You do one a week. I'll get to 52, and then I think I might quit there because there's nothing. <clears throat> what is there left after that? Well, like, how many people have you interviewed now? I mean, I don't know. I'm probably up to like 20, I guess. 20. But there are various people. Like you've interviewed some pretty higher up people, and then you've interviewed writers, and you're getting good interviews, right? I mean, more so than the average. Yeah, but like Velo News or Cycling News. Yeah, well, the thing with the Velo News and Cycling News is like, if they did a one-hour interview or two-hour, like however long, if they did that and then tried to like keep a lot of it in, it would be like maybe ten, fifteen pages of stuff, right? Of stuff, yeah. And that would be like an insane amount of time on their part, and then people probably don't even want to read it. They'd right, probably get exactly. the same amount of clicks. So like. You could blame Velo News, but or Cycling News, but you could also blame the readers. You know, like just like, well, they don't have the the patience. You know, like if they wrote like a ten or fifteen thing and put it on their art, put it on their website, on their blog, like, yeah, then I'm sure they would get tons. You'd be there you know, like three hours later. later what reading the it. Fuck? Yeah, this is boring. I don't know, man. It's a good idea to be on the radio or be on the podcast when you're riding and listening to the stuff. I mean, I think it's a good idea. So I mean, I think I think, I think it'd be pretty sweet. If like a, Someone sponsored a website more. like Velo News or Pick Cycling News, like, like uh, picked it up as a like a compliment, you know, to their website. Totally, dude. They should pay you for that. They're insane. Now, they should pay me so much. They money. should pay you for it. Yeah, Mike. Mike you you I think a hundred thousand an episode at least. Mike, you're you're a better interviewer than most other interviewers that we've been interviewed by. You don't even do that. You haven't even listened to them. Yeah, but I li- no. <laughs> <laughs> you're just guessing. No, but you have the inside. I don't know, vibe and know-how cycling to ask certain questions or you have the personality to be super personable and people are going to open up to you in a different way. So uh, I appreciate it, but so I, I think a lot of it's just the... And you know a lot of people. So Yeah, I appreciate it, but I think just those guys, uh, traditional media outlets are pretty hamstrung with what the readers demand. I mean, like... I mean, Because they're just out to make money, right? Yeah. Like, they just want to make some good money and, you know, put the best product they can out with that but if 
it's not like they're against podcasts. If there was just like this demand where every podcast was going to get a hundred thousand downloads, they would they would have seven podcasts by tomorrow. They're not yeah. against podcasts. It's just the whatever. Yeah, it's but the there's thing. hundreds of athletes you can interview. But whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. We're talking way too much about podcasts. Yeah. How'd your season end up, buddy? I didn't see a lot this year. I didn't race a lot this year. <laughs> yeah. What happened? I don't know, my back sucked. My brain sucked. And then you were attacking the grand fundo that Jeremy has. Oh, dude, that's <laughs> a lot different than. <laughs> nah, dude, I'm still. I'm sure you're still fit as hell. Um, your season was pretty up and down, huh? Up down, uh, up and down to say the least. It's kind of a crazy season, really. It was up and down more than I wanted it to be, mainly because I went into the season unprepared, which seems to happen a lot. Yeah. Fuck you. You know what was funny is I remember one time, uh, it was that time, it was your last year on Garmin, Huff and I were in Silver City training, and you came, Ugh. and I had warned you about this, do you remember me warning you about this? I was like, you, you gotta be careful when you hang around Pate, because there's only one person who can live like Pate, and that's Pate. Yeah, I remember that, but... And then I saw, I saw you that offseason, you came in from Silver City, and you were like heavier than I'd ever seen you. Yeah, I was a unit. Yeah. And you just... I'm pretty much a unit every year. I swing like 30 pounds. It's insane. But it's part of me just being genetically who I am. So... Yeah, for me. But it's also That's part of me not really, like, focusing too. So... Yeah, because, I mean, Pate's like a charismatic guy to hang around. He, he likes to enjoy life. He's fun to hang around. So, like, why wouldn't you want to be around that? And you see a guy who's successful, who could pull it off, and you think, well, I could pull it off too, probably. I mean... And it's not like he's completely lazy. You guys still go on mountain bike rides. You guys do get outdoors. We trained a lot, actually, but we had fun, too. Some of the most fun moments I've had in my 20s were sure. with that guy. Yeah, for sure. You know, and yeah, that's, yeah. there's something to say about that. So, I mean, yeah, I probably should have focused more. I probably could have done Do you generally more. regret that, or are you just kind of like, ah, oh, fuck it, it was worth it? It goes back and forth. Some days I really regret it because... You see the light. You're like, damn, yeah. I could have, would have, should have. You know, maybe I should have done this differently or should have done that differently. And people try to tell me. Fodders told me. Sat me down. Try to tell me, you know, but. Like, what did he say? Um, you need to realize your opportunity here. You need to, you know, focus more. I mean, he had good ways of saying it, and then he had really shitty ways of saying it, too. Well, you yeah. experienced that. But yeah. I think he was just trying to figure out what motivated each of us, you know, and at a certain point he gets frustrated. But. You know, you know what's funny as I'm a director more and more, I'm letting Vodders off the hook more and more. Yeah, it's there's a time that we're all like really angry with him. Yeah, because of because you know some people don't know like Vodders can be like very nice but also very cold. Yeah, and in a in a, an environment where it was based off of friendship, when a friend is that cold to you, you're not you're not thinking of him as your boss, you're thinking right. of him as a friend. Right. So he can be really cold to you, and it, oh man, it would really get under your skin. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I would say stuff to bodgers and texts that I'd read the next thing and be like, how the hell could I say that? You know, yeah, like, what was I thinking? so worked up. You know? And, um, but it goes, it went both ways, you know? And again, I agree with you. Like, I'm not as mad, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I understand. Yeah. I mean, I get it. <laughs> so, and it's funny that it takes us. Do you think you can, like, appreciate the opportunity 100% at that age, though? Like, I think back, like, what would have gave me more perspective? What would have, and I literally don't know if for if anything would have changed yeah do you think that you do you think you had that capability to be like totally appreciated i know i didn't i'm not gonna speak for you but well i think we all do for certain times i mean we 
you know, there are certain races out of the year. It changes throughout the year for you and I probably. I mean, there are certain races that you'll be gung-ho for three months prior to it, you know, yeah. and you'll focus everything you have into it. Then you get done with that block of focusing, you're like, Jesus, that was tough, you know? And so it goes back and forth all year long. I mean, that's why some seasons are up and down. Some seasons are strong all the way through. Whether or not we could have been strong all the way through, you know, I don't know. I don't know. But I know this, you know, I've, you know, the career has been up and down as well, just yeah. like the seasons go. But So you came into the season maybe not so prepared. Yeah. Yeah, and then got sick. It took me a long time. Did you do California? No, no, because I got sick uh, coming back from Europe. The girls were sick here, and I got sick from them, and then raced and put myself in a giant hole. And that's when we went to Joe Martin and raced in the rain for Haga, and Mm -hmm. went to Silver City after that. And I couldn't even ride my bike, so I had to come home and just rest. And then I started doing base miles. So it took me until May to like put myself in a hole so big from not being prepared. Yeah, and then I had to take like. A week off completely and then start base training again you know so and then by the time i did the rest and a little bit of base training i was flying by philly and i didn't even really know it i could have probably won philly if i just would have kept going i felt that good mm. but you know like we had the group coming and we were leading out jesse so yeah plan at the plan you know and jonas had me attack all day so you philly was to, the first race i felt good you seem to do better when nobody's looking at you i found that you really deflect pressure like immediately yeah I'm not good you at know, having you pressure. Not, I think yeah. you and Huff, like, I'm not great at it, so I'm not, I'm not judging, but I think you and Huff, like, whenever people, like, try to do a pre-race meeting, totally. like, okay, yeah. we're going, to, like, you'll be the first one, I'm like, no, 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 this guy's going better than me, even yeah. though it's blatantly not true. Yeah, but, you know, not having, not wanting the pressure is not necessarily a bad thing either, because if you go better under the feeling you don't have the pressure, yeah. then so be it, you know? No, I wasn't like, judging, I'm Yeah, no, I'm, it's, but, you know, some people will say that that's a bad quality, but I don't necessarily think so. You know, I mean, like if you go in for a test and you're all stressed out about a test, you know, you're going to freaking either do really good or really shitty. Right. But if you go in relaxed and controlled and can think straight, like then it's better chance of doing well. And that's like racing flag. If you can think more clearly and not be stressed out and not be like, what if, what if, what if, then like the end of nature rally, dude, I couldn't really race. I was just following you guys because I was so nervous. Yeah. What do you, do you feel like you're just like from... When you started racing, then you're always the underdog, so that's just the place you're comfortable at. Yeah, dude. When I was younger, yeah. you were intimidating as hell. You were. Yeah. I still too. Am no, not really. I no, still am. sorry. I am. No. Okay, this is your phone. That's Sadie's. Go for it. She'll kick your ass. There you yeah. go. Look at that. Yeah. That's, that's intense. That's intimidating. Aggression. I needed aggression. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyways. Uh. Yeah, dude. I mean. You know, I grew up on the East Coast. Um, I went to Mike Frazee Sports Resort, which was a rad place to go as a kid. Yeah. I never went, but I heard about it. I heard it was pretty sweet. Like, he had a big mansion somewhere. Dude, it was rad. Yeah. Mike Frazee Sports Resort is a freaking rad place. It's got great roads, country roads, it's a lot of climbing. Home. I think so, yeah. He still has camps there. And he runs a haunted house at Halloween. <laughs> and awesome. Yeah, it's rad. And he's a, he's a hell of a chef. And, <clears throat> you know, he's got a place to stay in the back. And I spent, I don't know, three or four summers there. And... That's some of the best memories of my, you know, mid teens. Can you tell my Mike Frazee story? Uh-uh. Uh, Everyone's got one. So I, I knew Mike Frazee just from seeing him at races, and he was always really nice to me. And we go to the, I go to the Junior World in uh, Valkenburg in 98. I was 17. And I ride, like, out of my skin in the time trial. Like, maybe as hard as I've ever gone in my life. Just, yeah, you were incredible. You were, like, super junior. So yeah. I go, I get fifth place. 
I remember this. And I was the youngest. So, so I'm like, oh, that was good. It's fifth place. And uh, Toby Stanton had put, like, this heat cream on my legs. And, like, that was before everybody knew about heat cream. You know, so, like, it doesn't... For those who don't know, this heat cream shit doesn't ever really work in the race. It only ever seems to work when you're in the shower after the race. I don't even think you're... Yeah, well... Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. So, like... All of a sudden, just block your pores. All of a sudden, this heat cream just starts like warping my legs, and I have to run to the shower. And I'm I'm in the shower trying to scrub my legs off, just sitting down in the tub, and I hear this banging on my door like it's the FBI, but I can't get to it. Crazy shoves the door open, knocks in the bathroom door. I get that again. Comes in. He swings both doors. Swings the shower door open. Is talking to me excitedly as I'm ass naked. Dude, that was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, who the fuck is this guy, man? Dude, the guy's got a love for cycling, man. He's taking a lot of people in. How old is he now? He's got to be in his 60s. Yeah. At least. Got to be. Um, but, yeah. I mean. So you came up through there. You came through Frazee. Yeah. yeah. How, did, how did you even get bike racing? Like, How did that even come about? Uh... Well, I raced BMX as a kid, and I have the highest bone density ever recorded at the University of Colorado, according to Alan Lim, and I crashed into a, I was on the whoop section of the BMX track, and I crashed into a whoop shoulder first in the middle of a race and broke my collarbone. So, <clears throat> so from that point forward, I was just riding these rollers my dad had, and uh, on my BMX bike, and I learned how to ride the rollers on my BMX bike, and then... So your dad was into bike racing? Yeah, he raced bikes back in the day in New York City. Okay. Yeah. Um, he's got a, still has a Mossy Grand Criterium. Nice. Uh, he's got a mix of Durace and Record on it. And, uh, it's a rad bike, man. And I remember as a kid just picking it up and feeling how light it was. Now it's heavy. Sure. But it's a rad bike. Yeah. Like, if I could ride a bike, that's the bike I would ride, you know? And, uh, he had all the wheels from racing the track. I guess, I don't know if he raced Madison Square Garden or what, but he had wooden wheels and wooden hubs and tires and stuff. And everything was, that stuff was light. That stuff was yeah. incredible, you know? Yeah. Um... So, yeah, I mean, you know, he had posters I had on my wall, and he gave me uh, this gold uh, cufflink and tie thing that had bikes on it, and I lost it, like, because I was too young, you know? Right. But, uh, yeah, so, anyways, I got into cycling, and he found this Schwinn Latour uh, 2, and uh, pulled it out of the trash. I think he found it in the trash somewhere. (laughs) And it was in, like, rusty condition, but he polished it and gave it to me for Christmas one year, and it looked brand new, you know? And immediately what I did is they have the shifters up top on the stem, you know? Yeah. And I just took the shifters off and put bar ends on it and thought so I you was, wanted to do like a Oh man, or, yeah. I had soccer cleats that I would put into my toe clips and I would saw off the the really? in the back. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, man, I would just go out and jam, you know, like I would just ride as hard as I could everywhere. Would you ride with your dad or No, no, my dad he was super supportive of me always going to the races with me and took me everywhere. But um he was just, you know, working and out of shape and overweight and just, you know, like, we raced down a hill once and you smashed me, but that was the only time we've ever, like, raced, you know? Sure. Um, one time my dad got bet at work to uh, ride to work, right? And his boss is like, there's no way you're going to ride to work. And my dad's like, how far was it? I don't know, like, nine miles one direction on sure. a four-lane, busy-ass road. And my dad's like, fuck you, I'm going to ride to work. He rides to work. He's riding home. My mom and I and my brothers are all in the car. We're coming up Route 19, which is the main road. It's like rush hour. And we see my dad pedaling up Route 19, giant belly over the bike. And we pass him. We're waving, you know, as kids would do with their dad. 
And he's like, stop, stop, stop. You know, like, yeah. I had to pick him up. That was so fucking funny. Anyways. Um, so that's how I got cycling. Started into cycling. Burnt my collar run, started on my dad's bike. Got a kit from my aunt and just started riding, man. Yeah. So. Then you hooked up with Frazy. Well, there was a while in Pittsburgh where I was racing. I bought, soon after that bike, I bought a, a Trek OCLV 60 centimeters for how, 600 bucks. How old were you at this one? 15. You bought a 60 centimeter bike? Oh, yeah, dude. It was lightweight and carbon fiber. So I jammed the seat post all the way down and rode the top tube. <laughs> 5500 OCLV, yeah. 600 bucks. I, bought I think it. I had a 5200. I had like the Saturn Silver. <laughs> Nothing was silver. Me. Nothing. Or, dude, everything was so expensive, you know? Like, I was cutting grass and making six bucks an hour, and yeah. I just, you know, saved money. And then people would also give me stuff, you know? Like, I had some really good mentors in Pittsburgh that, you know, are still very much in my life. And, um, you know, they would take me under the wing and give me some stuff that was old or used or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So... I mean, I still ride the mountain bike that I borrowed from my friend, and I never even gave it back because I was a kid, you know, and I just used it, and, you know, I went off to college, and next thing I know, it's been eight years, and I still have the damn bike, you know, and I still ride it. It's faster than all my other mountain bikes. It's stump jumper, yeah, it's a specialized stump jumper from 98. When did you get into the whole track thing? Because that, that was a big part of your development was racing through the track. Crazy. Raced the track for a little bit. I never took the track seriously, though, until after some college. Um, but I did junior nationals on the track when they were in T-Town, and I don't know, I probably raced a fair number of races. I didn't, I don't, I did junior nationals a couple of times. Um. You won 82 or 83? 82. Yeah. It's funny you know that, so how old am I? Since you're a director now, you know the age limit, right? I mean. Well, yeah, but why else know how old? Yeah. I was born, so yeah, it's right. easy. Yeah, true. I just kind of wanted that. Yeah. Reverse engineered that whole thing. You know, that was amazing. Time. It was incredible. Don't get mad at me for I'm your stupid question. I am calmer than you. <laughs> you can't just throw a movie quote out and pretend like that's a philosophy. <laughs> it sort of is a philosophy. Boom, boom, you seem to be the mad one. That right movie now. is a philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> for people who can hear that noise, Friedman's dog is just mound, a tennis ball. That's Walter. Walter. Speaking of that movie. He's named after that movie, actually. His tags was calling than you are, dude. Um, so you... When did I... The first I remember seeing or hearing, knowing of you, how about that, was when you won the Road Nationals, uh, under 23. Was that under 23 or junior? Under, under 23, 23. Under 23. And then you kind of... But I, I still saw more of you, like, full-time track guy. Yeah, I, well, I mean, that's what it was on the East Coast. I mean, we had T-Town, and a lot of the racing was surrounded by T-Town, right? Yeah, like, yeah. there was a, we had Lagers, Lance Armstrong Junior Olympic Series. Oh, I and remember I, that. I, dude, that was the coolest series, man. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish they would have kept that going. It was one of the best series that USA Cycling had going on, because you had all kinds of different regional teams that would come, sure. come from that, and like... Do you remember the like regional championships when they would have that? Yeah, I was on the Eastern Regional team. I remember being so proud. I still have the jersey. I should hang it up. I think I saw one somewhere. We should get a picture of them. <laughs> I doubt I fit. There's no way. Well, I'm anyways, yeah. Wow. Fuck you. <laughs> I know you don't fit. <laughs> I'll get in it. <laughs> I'm sure you can get in it. Uh, so you just did, like, 
Tell me about the track part of that. Like, well, we just raced the track and raced the road, you know. And then, we? well, Frazy's guys, Robbie Ketchell works for Garmin now. Um, myself, uh, Peter Lawler, you probably don't remember that name. Um, Retic was an East Coast guy, so yeah. he moved around, but he was more of the national team stuff. And the Frisch Corps, too, national team thing, you know. Yeah, they were really road guys, I would see them. Yeah. But when I first, I don't I did a Frazy, <laughs> there was a uh, junior national track camp going on at uh, T-Town. Okay. And Frazy got wind of it, and so it's like we're like two and a half hours north of where T Town is, right? So Frazy calls me, which is like, forces me into this this camp. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so Danny Van Hout is the director of the camp, right? So you have Van Hout, and the, you were you were actually supposed to come to this camp. And I remember like, oh yeah, Mike Creed's coming. I was so nervous that you were coming because it was really? Horn, Retzik, Sterling Magnow, uh, Clinton Pinkert, Shana Trado. And Dustin Rodemaker, and then I think you were supposed to come. Bill Skinner, maybe? I know. I remember Billy. Yeah. yeah. And then I think you were supposed to come in. I don't remember this for some reason. Anyways, yeah. So <laughs> I go to the camp. I'm super unprepared because I didn't even know I was supposed to go, so I forgot soap. And someone caught me washing up in the shower or, shamp- or uh, shaving cream because I was like, well, fuck it. I just use shaving cream. Whatever. You know? Yeah, whatever. So, <laughs> Yeah. That was my first. That was my first. You just impression. figured you had to lather up. Like this is a lather. Well, I just wanted to smell better than I did because I've been riding all day, you know, and I didn't have any soap, and I was too embarrassed to ask. Sure. I was like sixteen or 15, not even sixteen. I was fifteen. Yeah. It was the first year I started riding, man. That's fucking funny. And uh, did you show up with your OCLE? I did. That's I think I did. Awesome. Yeah. And I was on Betsy Davis's old Quavis. Fuck, I remember Betsy. You remember Betsy? I bet. Yeah. yeah. It's so crazy. We have these intertwining like. History. I took Betsy out at national championships one time. I threw a bottle to my dad and I missed and I caught her in the knee and she dropped like a brick <laughs> shit house. That's so fucked up, dude. Yeah, no, she, <laughs> she fucking went down. She went downs. She wasn't a fan of me in the first place. Agreed. Do you remember when you high, high-fived um, Gary? Bear? Care Bear? Oh, dude, that's farther down the line. We have to hold off on that story. Yeah. No, I didn't high-five. We'll tell whatever. We'll tell Yeah. Alright, so anyways, I'm at this camp. And I have my own room, and fuck, someone walks in the room and I'm jerking off. You know, I'm like, Jesus. So now I'm like, the How guy. How did you walk in the room? Did not have a lock? I guess I didn't have a locked. I'm 15, and I was like, just discovered myself a few years ago, so I was going at it, you know. But whatever. Oh, man. Yeah. But, so then I was known as, that story stayed with me forever. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it rarely gets brought up now until now, but whatever, you know? I mean... You know what's funny about you, Freeman, is you have, like, these embarrassing stories, and you're like, oh, this is super embarrassing, but you're always the one who brings them up. Like, I feel like there's a part of you that's also kind of proud of it. You like kind of being the... You like, I care, but I don't care. So many people care about these like, embarrassing think, things. But I think you... I think in a way you like being the foil and the joke a lot of times. I think well, it's it. a learned trait, dude. I have to be the foil and the joke. What do you uh, mean? I have to let it roll over my back, dude. If I don't, I'll get so much shit because I'm just who I am. I'm weird. So I would get so much shit for just being myself that if I don't let it roll over my back, I'd be fucking crazy. Yeah, but what I mean by being the foil is the foil is often he sometimes draws attention to it first. So you're saying, like, maybe out of insecurity or, like... Totally, dude. You, you like, okay, I'm going to address this first before... I'm just going to own up to it. 
I'm just going to own up to it. I think maybe you own up to it too quick. Probably. Maybe, maybe you should just wait and beat this if it comes up. It, it's perhaps, but, but it's if, a funny if, story. If you see it coming that way, then own it. But just don't lead with it. <laughs> well, that's that's the whole story, man. I mean, we haven't gotten to the part with Beast yet, you know? So. Oh, tell me this Beast story. <laughs> tell me. So we have to do these VO2 workouts, right? Sure. So you get the whole group together. You know, he's got the whole national team, junior national track team, and Will and Shane are just starting to date or whatever, and then you have Skinner and Rodemaker, and you have me standing there. And Skinner and Rodemaker, for those who don't know, which 99% of people listening to this won't know, were two of the biggest troublemakers from, like, Massachusetts. They live... I mean, I remember going to those guys, and Rodemaker had mini guns, potato... Guns like cannons, whatever those things are. Who was it who stayed at his house and he chopped a tree down from his window shooting something, shooting a gun? Was it Bowman? Maybe told us that story. No, I don't know, man. But I remember being in his house and he had all these like basically assault rifles at the age of eighteen or nineteen. His mom would yell at him, and it was remember that Will Ferrell movie where he's like screaming at his mom. He's like, "Mom, meatloaf." Mm. It was it was literally that. Like he was telling his mom to shut up, mom. Fine. He was just yeah. Dude, those guys were nuts. He shot a tree down. Okay, but uh, anyways, but to his credit, have you looked him up at all lately? You're telling me he owns like a like some kind of dude. He's got some YouTube videos out there, Dustin Automaker, and he's incredible with a pistol. I mean, it's, just, yeah. it's him shooting a pistol, and it's like moving targets, and he's insane. Like he's incredible at it. And I, so I mean, kudos to the guy, man. I mean, he's, and I think he was in the service, you know. So I know he was in the service. So I mean, the guy's. Yeah, he was a badass. Still is a badass. Yeah. So tell me the... So, all right, all so anyways, we're doing this VO2 workout, and we go to this country road, and Pennsylvania's got these beautiful, long country roads where you don't see a car for ever. Sure. You know, it's just farm roads. And um, we just all start going hard, you know? And we're all pretty fit, so we drop beast, you know? And we're just going as hard as we can. We're all racing neck and neck and neck, and, like, we're going for, like, eight or nine minutes. We're like, how long is the VO2 workout? No one knows. Nobody knows what we're supposed to be doing. We're just going hard as... We're going as hard as we can, you know, just out our eyeballs. And we stop, and the beast comes up from behind us, and we're all stopped standing there. He's like, you, I was yelling. What? <clears throat> and he can't even, like, talk, you know? He's just so irate. Yeah. You did it all wrong. Just freaking out and, like, been chasing us forever. We've just been going full gas. Sure. So. Did you ever go to Junior Track Worlds or anything? Not Junior. No. No. No Junior Track Worlds. I was always good, but I was never, like, I never really, like, I didn't really fully develop until after college some, you know, where I let myself fill out, you know, like, yeah. like, I was competitive with guys like, you know, Retic and Pahati in my age group, yeah. but like, you know, like, you and Pate were at a different level, you know, in a road race. I was doing crits and track racing, you know, on the East Coast. I wasn't getting much of a yeah. mountain kind of physique, you know, so yeah. you guys were doing the races that, you know, in Europe and stuff that were... Those big races, you know, and you guys would come back to the U.S. as juniors and smash up on fields, you know. Mm -hmm. It was awesome, but intimidating at the same time. So, I couldn't think of two nerdier guys to be intimidated by. Jesus, it just I shows know. you how many nerds there are inside. Oh my god, yeah, but dude, you had earrings and bleached hair, and like, dude, the first time I bleached my hair was at Eddie B's house in Rodemaker. It's the first time I got drunk, and I got my hair bleached, and I woke up in a van. Right. Yeah. See, it's better just to say it. I mean, that's an awesome story. It sounds like it went horribly. Well, you could look at it that way, or you could look at it and be like, 
That was interesting. You look awful with bleach hair, Freeman. <laughs> I have pictures. Oh. It's bad. Uh, so you just kind of like did that. I mean, what what was the? Wasn't there like a kind of like a? Was it a prof- semi-professional team that you were on a T-town track team? Like was it with Carney and? Uh, that was guys? Northwestern Mortgage. Was that like a pro team or what? What was that? <clears throat> Bobby and I were living together in school. Yep, Bobby Lee. And then I went to State College. He stayed in Allentown. And are you still living together? No, no, I was living in State College. He was in Allentown. Okay. So, um, Jamie wanted to put together a team pursuit squad, and with like, the aims of what? Uh, Josh Kirkoff. No, no. Oh. But like, what was the aim? Was oh, the aim. I'm sorry, I think you said name. Um, well, the 2012 Olympics. Okay. 2008 Olympics, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, 2008 Olympics and beyond, if we could make it a team pursuit squad. So it's kind of like taking the 96 project and kind of trying to rekindle it again, you know? And Jamie was a good guy for the, for the job. I mean, he got a he got a couple dollars together, got a bike sponsor, got Shimano to kick in some pedals and shoes, and we had clothing and helmets, and and uh, Fuji gave us bikes, and we renamed the uh, custom track bikes we had, Fuji's, you know? And so... I mean, he did a pretty good job. We went to Tasmania for four months and trained down there and did the... Oh, that's right. I remember you yeah, doing that. We did the Bay Carnivals and Christmas Carnivals. What are the carnivals sweet. like? It's track racing on a flat track. Yeah, like, is it you, di- how, how dicey is it going on the turns? Well, they, it's dicey, man. It's super dicey because they're not really banked. I mean, some of them it's are like banked a little bit. five degree banking, like almost nothing. Yeah, dude, it was insane. And when we went down there, it was Graham Brown, the guy. I think he won Worlds at year, so he's wearing a Worlds kid. Um... Uh, Matt Goss, Matt Jameson, um, a bunch of other guys that were like sure. Stewie O'Grady, you know, like we're racing nice. all these guys. Yeah, it was sick. Ben Kirsten. So we went down there, trained. Is it like a six day format? They just hold a bunch of different races, or is it mainly days sort of? Yeah, it is sort of like a six day format. Yeah, but yeah, but they have different racing. Yeah, um, and then that was a sick trip, man. We were down there in Tasmania for four months, rented a house, and how old were you? 22. That's pretty cool for a 22-year-old. Yeah, 22, maybe, somewhere in there. And so we were doing, the goal was to do the World Cup on the track. And so we just started doing, we started training on the indoor track in Tasmania. So we had a track to ourselves, and they supported it. They let us in there, and we would do our training. And I don't even know if we rented it. I think it was just a favor to Jamie, which is rad. You know, you try to get in the ADT event center, and it's like hundreds of bucks, you know. So, um... We went to the World Cup, and it was our first team pursuit on a like a world level, you know. And we've been doing like four fifteen in Tasmania, but it's a really fast track. And we've been practicing over and over and over behind the motor, behind you know, just doing team pursuit stuff. Well, you know that. <clears throat> and uh, I think we rolled like a four twenty one, so we weren't we didn't go that fast. We went pretty slow. Yeah. But it was our first one, you know. I mean. We fucked up some shit, you know? Who was the team? It was me, Bobby Lee, Josh Kirkhoff, and Gene Ellison. They were pretty cool guys. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, um, do you know Gee? Do you know Gee at all? I know, I think we know all of each other. We could recognize each other, yeah. but we, I don't think we've ever talked. Yeah. Really. <clears throat> what about Josh? Kirkhoff? Yeah. I was closer to him because we would race juniors and I'm sure. Yeah. But same kind of thing. Yeah. We were never like tight. Yeah. It was a good team, man. We had some fun. And then, uh, 
that was right about the time when, like, Jamie started doing that. We raced all summer, and then I think Vodders, that was when Vodders had TIA prep, you know, and I think he was kind of thinking about doing the same thing on the track and maybe use it as a platform to... Well, his original thing was to try to... Because there's two ways he could get, like, a big sponsor. It was either going to Olympics or going to Tour Right. So originally he thought, oh, Team Pursuit Tour Olympics. Yeah, easiest street. Yeah. yeah. And in a way, he was right. I mean, really. I mean... Yeah, he was. That is the probably the easiest way. So he put together you and Yeah, but let's not go that far. All right. Fair so let's... So you did that. You're 21. How long were you... How long was this team... How long was that thing run for? About a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah, a year, year and a half. Two years, maybe. Were you on that team when you won under twenty three nationals? No, no. When I won under twenty three, I was on on Frazy's team. Okay, so it went Frazy then Jamie. Frazy, college, left college, Jamie. Okay. Actually, I was with Jamie during college, and then I left college to pursue TIA craft. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, Frazy, Jamie, college, and then TIA craft. Yeah. How did you? So like, is that when Vodders? reached out to you to, to well we were to doing do that camp that we did at whatever well ADT. no so that we were doing <clears throat> team we were doing that was when they were doing the, the flying time standard right for for the track to make the was it the national team at the time or was it i forget what bullshit it was yeah. <clears throat> we had to do a flying 3k so we were doing all this training for flying 3k's for eight minute efforts or something whatever we had to do whatever jumps we had whatever hoops we had to jump through you know and so i had a really good sprint on me and we were doing univest you know and so Univest at the time was when all the, I guess it was amateur still was that amateur or did they open at the pros? Because TA Prep was there, anyways. Um, yeah, so it was Univest is just kind of a it's a big fall race, you know. Mm-hmm. We do it on Optum, you guys will do it too. And so um, I ended up winning the crit in front of Vodders, you know, and then I got a text from Vodders saying, "Hey man, um, what are you doing like for next year?" You know, and that was I don't even know how I got my number. Yeah. You know, so. And I was riding the roll. When he called me, I was riding the rollers in LA because I had gone to the LA camp to make this team. We had to do this time standard to make the team. And when he called me, I was actually riding the rollers on the host house's driveway. You know, and I fell off the rollers as soon as I got the call. You know, because it's such a cool call to get. I mean, yeah. you know, you're trying to be professional. You know, you have these basically this super team that's got good funding and good names behind it, and you want to be on it. You know, and to get that call is like a dream. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was pretty cool. So. Yeah, that's when we did that. Did we do it? We did Team Pursuit at that camp. So that was like when you joined us at that. Yeah, uh, that was kind camp. of it. That was that was the moment. Yeah. Hotel. What was that? That was the like the extended stay. Carson. Yeah, that place was rad. No, do you remember? It was the same time as Hurricane Katrina, so they moved all these people yeah. into that. I don't remember that. It was. <laughs> oh, I remember just being like totally like, what huh. the fuck is happening here? Okay, so that was yeah. that was your start with the team. Yeah. So we would do. It was right after that camp we went back and stayed at this exact same uh, same hotel and then we did a camp there for TIA Craft. Yeah. It was yeah. like two weeks later we were back there. But you did really good that first year in TIA Craft because like, you know, you didn't have like any of that pressure on you or anything. You just well, really thrive. Dude, I mean, I went from riding track and riding a little bit of road to yeah. riding track and riding with you guys and riding a shit ton of road. Yeah. You know, so I changed. It took me a little while to change, you know, and yeah. I think that volume helped me and it kind of put me at through another threshold, you know, yeah. like I'd never been pushed to that point, you know, and racing at 200 kilometer long races I'd never done before, yeah. you know, so it was totally well, that race that we did, um, a one day race in France that we did that like, 
Waltz made you ride back to the hotel and like he rode back in his tennis shoes and oh jeez what was that race? That wasn't Picardy, was it? No, it was a like, one day. Picardy is yeah three or four. You know. It's some of the, like for those who don't know they have like these French like one point twos all over the place and they're just the hardest shittiest races nobody cares about. But like Cofidis will send a squad, you know Europe Car will send a squad and they're. And they're, they're usually circuit races. They're so fucking hard. Dude, I, th- I think Welts, yeah. I mean, God. I don't remember. Like, so you did this race, you didn't do so good. And Welts, like... I wasn't ready or I was out of shape or I looked big. I've always looked big. Yeah. I mean, I can be in good shape and be really lean and I'll still look big. Yeah. You know? And so, there were times, though, that I was actually big. You know? And I think that was one of those times. You know? Like... And I think Welts saw it, too. You know? Like, if I was fit, I could go across our breakaway even if they had five minutes. Or if I was unfit, I would be shit, you know, and like it'd be very noticeable. So it's a big difference. So yeah. I think he was just trying to reach me on another level as well to say, hey, check in here, you know. Yeah. But like, so you did this race, didn't finish, and then like he made, did he make you put your chamois back on after the race and ride back? Yeah, I was on? in the bus because I had dropped out. Dude, was it Normandy? Was it Normandy? Normandy's a state race too. You sure was it one day? Positive. Dude, I know what race it was. Well, I can picture the roads. I don't remember the name of the race. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. That's when Huff peed at like 75k an hour, and I was getting wet, and I looked up the road, and it's Huff peeing. Of course it is. Yeah. Ugh, fuck Huff. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like he didn't do great in this, this race. He dropped out. He comes on the bus and says, Mike, get your clothes back Yeah, I was already changed because I dropped out. Yeah. yeah. And then like it was, like, right home. it was like 40k back to the hotel. It was a long way. Yeah. And he rode in his like shoes and pants. He was in his tennis shoes bikes. and jeans. And he, just like, and he was hurting me because I was hurting in the race. I was like, I'd done, I don't know, 150K at 200K. Yeah. So, like, I had gone a long way just feeling like shit, you know? Sure, so, sure, like, sure. I was already feeling like shit. Your body shut And down, I was, yeah. like, depressed because you get done with the race, you drop out. Yeah. You're not happy about it. You just sit there forlorn, you know? And, yeah. Or if you don't care, you try to look forlorn, you know? Sure. So, <laughs> yeah, look at me. Look at me yeah. sad. Yeah, I'm sad. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, you made me get dressed and. Rode with me back to the hotel. What did he say to you? I don't remember, man. I just remember being embarrassed. It's like the tying the tails between your legs, you know? Sure. Like, Vodder's never did that. <laughs> but Johnny was... I don't know, man. Johnny was pretty cool. I like Johnny. Yeah? He's a good director, yeah. Yeah. I liked him. So... But that was... After that, like, you really turned the page, man. You really, you really took it up a level, huh? Yeah, pretty good end of the year, as far as I remember. I could be totally off, but... I can't remember what happened the rest of the year. Yeah. I mean, was that the year I went? To, was that the year? Where, we did what year was that? World. That was the. Dude, it all gets kind of jumbled up, don't it? We stayed in Bordeaux. Stayed in yeah. Bordeaux. We did track world. Yeah, I was so nervous of Bordeaux for the worlds that I went riding up the trail. I always felt like it was better the next day after I opened up. Yeah. So I did like this ninety-mile ride on this trail, and I remember passing Chris Boardman going the other way. I was like, "Hey, Chris," and we're the only two guys on this entire. French trail. Yeah. It was really just this random thing. Weird. But. So, yeah, that year. Do you remember um, that world's, that hotel, that hotel, uh, oh, dude. the pranks Peyton I would pull on you? And yeah, Huff? Huff and I were rooming together, and you would create, you would create, you and Peyton never room together. <laughs> well, I don't think it's going to happen ever again, so I think it's over, but well, it was a good time. It was pretty funny. It sucked for us, but it was pretty funny. What pranks do you remember? I remember. I, I remember, remember how you guys I, one time I really saw. I, I hadn't seen many people mad, but you were pretty. 
Do you remember any of the parties? Yeah, I do. I don't remember. I think the one where I got mad at I got uh, toothpaste in my ear. <laughs> so, for those who don't know, we've, we've been doing these like really gentle pranks on Hoffman Friedman all year. So, uh, one where you take, you go into their room and you take their num- the pins out of their number and you pin stuff down in their room. Like pretty. That was good. a good one. It would start, yeah, yeah, that start there. One. And it sounds like a pretty harmless joke until it happens all year, every day. And, and then, so I forget what else Peyton and I started doing to you guys, but it all accumulated with knowing that you guys were now actually irritated and actually pissed. And somehow we broke into your room. Like, I forgot what sneaky way we broke into your room, but we broke into your room and we put toothpaste on the, the phone, receiver yeah. on the phone. Yeah, and then you called. And, and of we course. called, and yeah. I, cu- I couldn't, <laughs> I was too, like, I, cu- I couldn't listen. Like, so I call and I just hand the phone to Pate. And one of the funniest, happiest moments of my life was seeing Pate's reaction. Because <laughs> he has this slight smile on his face and he's holding the phone. And it was like this ghost stabbed him in the gut because he drops the phone, holds his side. <laughs> And just started rolling on the ground. And I didn't even have to hear your voice. I was immediately happy. Like, I was immediately rolling next to him. Yeah, sweet. That's awesome. You guys came banging on our door five minutes later, screaming to open it. Like, we, like no, you're mad. I'm not going to open the door. You're crazy. Yeah, especially the Huff and I. Yeah. 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 You know, those are like fun. two bears coming at you. Those are fucking fun times. Do you remember when we would do standing starts on the track? And who who would we drop? We Huff and I would have to wait for you guys. We would do. That was me, man. I wasn't very good standing. It was you and Will, or was it you? It, it might have been first, and then I think it. it then it was Pate, maybe. Then it went over to Will or Pate. maybe Will. Yeah. It was me at first, dude. Our wrong. standing start time of Team Pursuit was slower than Sarah Hammer's individual start time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. We caught that bitch later. Oh man! Oh man! By three k, eat shit, Sarah Hammer. You're behind four guys. Yeah. Uh, dude, she's hey, you know ass. what? She, she's the hair of a tortoise, man. In the end, we caught up. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, what's ever happened to her? Is she any good anymore? <laughs> no, no, she I, was I, in the I, springs. I mean, at first, though, like, Peyton and I, like, I mean, I'd always done a bit of track, but I'd never done dedicated team pursuit stuff like that. Like, I was, and back then, I was really light. Like, I, I couldn't do this. Dude, stuff. in our meetings, we'd be like, okay, we have to start slow. We have to make sure crew gets on. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. like, don't start hard. Make sure crew gets on, you know, because... Yeah. It was, yeah. But whatever, man. It was, it was. Well, dude, there wasn't like a fifth guy that could fill in for me. Well, it wasn't like you could really bump me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Pate had it worse. I remember at Worlds in Bordeaux, we're in the middle of the World Championship. We're racing. Yeah. So for those who don't know, in Team Pursuit, you have to finish with three. You start with four, you finish with three. So when a guy gets dropped, he screams three. So everybody in the group knows yeah. that you're now three. So when you do your exchange, you come down a little earlier. Yeah. So, uh, we did the World in Bordeaux. Uh, Pate swings off. I'm on Pate's wheel. Pate swings off. And we hear three. So, I think, okay, no problem. And when I do my exchange, I come down, slot in third place. About a half second after I slot in third place, we hear four. (laughs) And I contend... That that may be the only time four was screamed out at the world championship. For sure. For sure. I think we have to... We're fucking... Paige should have a t-shirt or a hat made. We should have got a medal for that. Yeah. 
Dude, it looked flawless. It looked like we. It, it looked so, like we planned it. If you look at the video, it's like, wow, that was impressive. That was cool. Yeah, it looked like we planned it. If I would have known he was there, it might have not looked so good. I might have. I might. You would hit him or come down off, and we'd have been yeah. in half. We would have had three. Yeah. Yeah. It happened at the LA World Cup too, where so, I yeah, Pate was getting dropped. I don't even he yelled. I swing up, see the gap opening up, close down with Pate, and then I bring him back. Huh. It was like I don't know. We were a shit show for Do we were no, but it was sweet. Did we, we did like a 13 or a 14. Four, 4 14 on LA. It's not that bad. On LA, it's pretty good. LA is a pretty slow track. Yeah, we're still not that good. Yeah, Finney went the same speed. Did he? Mm -hmm. He had four, a 14 actually, in LA? He went fast in LA, man. Really? Yeah, he retired me from Team Pursuit. Thanks a lot, Taylor. <laughs> well, I mean, it's always, I mean, he's got to make money. He's not going to hang out hey, with you. I wouldn't either. He was. Incredible. Yeah, you would have dumped your ass. He was incredible. Yeah. Uh,. So you do like the whole rise, we do some track, get onto the road program, uh, doing pretty good, but then what happened like your final year on Garmin? Just... Well, the year before that, I won the Olympics, remember? Got to go to the Olympics, so that's a whole, dude, there are so many stories here that, I mean, we're jumping around, you're doing a good job of keeping it kind of straight, but like, there could be, there's hours here, you know, like, sure. so, I mean... <laughs> Went to the Olympics for the Madison. So I went from Team Pursuit to doing Madison because that was like it took, I don't know, we just didn't have a team for Team Pursuit. But yeah, we didn't have a, good we didn't have a team, so I went to Madison. Pitt and I are good track riders in certain times, but we're not Team Pursuiters. It's a, just a different ball yeah. game. You yeah. know, you got it, you almost have to have sprinters to do it. It you is. Endurance sprinters. Sprint. Yeah. yeah, you know, so. But, uh, you know, whatever. So Madison, and that was when we had to do the, the whole time. Um, Standard. Time standard thing. Yeah. yeah. Again, to educate those who don't know much about track. Yeah, sorry. I'm not very... No, so it's a... Basically, they picked the Olympic... An Olympic spot by doing a 3K time trial on your mass start bike. And your first 500 meters had to average, like, what, like 62K an hour or something. Yeah, it was timed. So it was, like, you had to do... Was it sub-14 second lap? I think it was like... Whatever. Yeah, whatever. It was whatever. fast. Yeah. It was like... I think it was like 62K an hour for the first 500 meters. And to then simulate an attack. And, and then the standard was maybe like 55K an hour for the rest of the 2500 meters. So... But what they did for to pick this Olympic spot was who did the best time. Not the best 500 meter time, but the best final time. So as long yeah. as you got under that 62K an hour standard at the start... Then who had the fastest time after those twenty five hundred meters would go to the Olympics. I, th I think there was still a standard like three twenty or something, three twenty one or something. I think they've moved it. Like I talked to Jim Miller a little bit about it, and I think they've moved it to more as a talent ID spotting tool. Yeah, it's which is a good. It actually is a good no, tool for that. You no, know? dude, if you can do that on a bike, you're a handy yeah. motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we did this time standard thing, and this is the year I got fourth or twelfth at Head Bulk. So I was doing a shit ton of road with, yeah. with slipstream and trying to balance the track. I had no coach. I had no real funding to get to the World Cups. JV was actually picking up the funding for some of these trips. I was racing for Slipstream at some of the World Cups because USA Cycling, I don't know. They didn't, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But whatever. So, yeah. So I was all over the place trying to make this time standard, jumping around, doing World Cups, going back to the U.S. to do a time standard and, like, whatever. So I go back in, like, May. I hadn't touched the track all year uh, since, like, the World Cup in L.A., which I bombed because I won the World Cup in Beijing. Mm-hmm. The year leading up to the Olympics. Fuck, we're just passing over shit now. No, so, dude. I mean, it's, it's like. It's so, I win the Beijing World Cup, go to the LA World Cup, win the Beijing World Cup, go to uh, 
Burnaby with Colby. I crash on the track in Burnaby. I get a I got weird bacterial infection. Go shit at L.A. in front of Doug Ellis and Waters, which is the scene on. Was that part of the pressure? Was it the pressure creeping up on you? No, I had breakouts all over my skin. I went on antibiotics like two days before the World Cup. Yeah. So like I just felt like shit. You know what it's like racing on antibiotics. It's yeah. like either good or no no change where you shit. You know. Yeah. And so I was I was bad and. Yeah, I raced really poorly at the LA World Cup. Went on a private plane at Silver City, and I think that's when I saw you. In Get Silver a private City. plane in Silver City. Yeah, with with Vodders and and uh, Dub. That's a that was sweet. You know, I just ridden so poorly, and then I'm hopping on a private jet. You know, yeah. like I don't deserve that. So I was like in this weird place in my head. And that's when you guys were in Silver City. Okay. So that was 2009. You were on Rock Racing, and Huff was on Jelly Belly or whatever. Sure. So. You just. So it just started funky. But you made the Olympic team still. Yeah, I made the Olympic team. Yeah, so did their season on the road. I actually went okay. Trained with Magnus Backstead for like five hours a day for like two weeks. Did head bulk. Got in a really breakaway. Got caught by like Philippe Chaubert and, and Cancelar and held on for 12. Go back home to try to do some track. <clears throat> do this time standard thing. And like I've got like, I don't know, a week of time in my legs, you know. And... Racing is so funny. This is the thing about pressure, right? Like, you get to race day, especially at time standard, when you know the Olympics are on the line. And then in training, you're smashing it. Like, all week I've been just been ripping it, pushing big gears, going faster than I've ever gone before because I have all this road volume. But by the end of the week, track just blows up on you, you know? So I didn't have the same legs. It's a different kind of torque. Yeah, it's totally different. So, like, I was flying early week. If they had tested been early, like, early in the week, I would have smashed the time standard and, and gone. You know, no problem. There's, the, there's a... You know that old French guy Bernardino? Yeah. Right? Oh, he, yeah. He would say his training was like kind of counterintuitive. He said when he felt good, he went he, home. He went home. Yeah. I've done that. I've used that. I've used that before. So maybe you just felt good and you fucking. I should have gone home. Yeah. Just, I was showing off, man. I yeah. was like, I was there, you know, like this big ass Garmin rider showing up, gonna smash his timestamp with Ice Fest going, and like. Yeah, all the like, tricks. Oh, it was, yeah, I mean. It was crazy. We were like... What place did you get in the event then, when they held the time standard? I was second to Bobby by one second. Okay. Yeah, Bobby won the time standard. I thought he was like way out in front. No, it was like one second. It was close. It was close. Um, it was a big gap, third then, maybe. Yeah, it was a big gap. But Bobby, you know, he's a really good track rider. I mean... Fuck yeah. Domestically, he's he's really good. He's smooth, he's tactically smart, and he's pretty damn strong, you know? And then... So the thing about Bobby is he has this insane turn of speed. He can go like a motherfucker for five minutes. Dude, the Tour of Utah prologue, he was fifth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's got amazing rides in him. I've had, I was, I was a little, I, I go back and forth with Bobby because I really, I think he's a good kid. We're, we're peers. I shouldn't call him a kid. He's a good guy. And uh, I know how fucking fast he is. And, uh, you know, I got a chance to work with him a little bit this last year. And, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I feel like he's so surrounded in that track thing that he, he like his world is so small. Like yeah, I'm like I'm trying to get him to realize like if he just totally fucked off the track, came to the road for like a good two years, that guy could like make a lot of money. He could be really successful. Yeah. But I I just don't think he he's willing to just suck for a couple of years. I, I doubt he would even. I doubt he would even suck for a couple of years. That's worst case scenario. You suck well, I don't. You know, I don't know who coaches him. I don't know. You yeah. know. You know. He. He and I. Anyway, yeah. Listen. Yeah. Well, anyways. Well, actually, he's a big part of my life. Actually, because yeah. we were 
at Frazee's together sometimes. I think we went to Cuba together. I mean, that's, dude, with Frazee, we went to Cuba. And we yeah. passed that, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. we passed a lot of good stuff here. But, um, twice went to Cuba. I went to Cuba too. I know. Right, dude, so I know. Let's, that's let's cool. not try to one up each other. All right, well. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, so we do the time standard. Bobby wins and gets both spots. He gets the Madison spot and the Pointery spot. Yeah. And that was never really. I didn't feel that like that was very clear. I didn't know that it was like it was at the discretion of he was recycling, you know? So that made me mad initially, you know? And it made me mad at the Olympics too, you know? Like <clears throat> I mean, no offense to Bobby. Bobby, I love you. But like, you know, I'm sitting in the stand watching him at the points race at the Olympics, you yeah, know, in yeah, Beijing. Yeah. His family's there, my family is there. <clears throat> and you know, I know what it's gone into, like, to this point, you know, and for them to just hand the point or stuff spot off the, without even doing another test or something, you know, like, yeah. it just, so anyways, Bobby takes a flying lap. First lap, bell goes off, whistle goes off, race starts, Bobby goes, gets a lap in, like, the first four laps at the Olympics. Insane. He's winning. Like, I, I'm sitting in my pan, I'm like, holy shit, I can't, I can't believe that. It's yeah. like. Yeah, do I see this? Yeah. Like, if you're ever going to be handed a silver like platter with like I don't know your favorite whatever yeah. gold, gold that's it you yeah. know you're at the Olympics you take a lap was this the was this the year that the lap roll took precedent yeah you were, or I think they were getting yeah I think it was so he yeah. so as long it as wasn't he, just 20 points so as long as he didn't lose a lap he was gonna win I'm pretty sure yeah 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 I'm pretty sure I forgot when they changed the rule I can't remember I'm pretty sure but <clears throat> anyways he's a lap up the thing with track racing is you got to get back to the front, you know, because if you don't get back to the front, you get whiplash and you go higher on the track and you're doing a longer line around the track, right? And the guy at the front who's doing the shortest line, you're just going so much faster than you can actually go. So you're, you can go that fast for a little while longer, but, you know, you're pretty much at maximum speed, you know? So racing starts to happen. He hasn't recovered yet. And, like, 20 laps go by and he's lost a lap and he's dropping out of the race. Yeah. It might have been a little bit longer than that, you know, like, but it was pretty damn quick, you know, and I was just like, I was upset because of the way it happened. I was upset for him for having that happen. I was excited so for him from, like, like, from a high to a super low, you know, yeah, and then yeah, I was yeah. mad that I wasn't in there because I would have tried to do something differently because you think you could have done something differently. Who knows? I might have done the same damn thing. I don't yeah. know. And then, like, you know, prior to this whole event had been the mask issue with the Olympics, you know, so that was a whole yeah, right. debacle and. You know me, dude. I get all emotional. So I was up for a week when the mask issue was going. I didn't sleep for the first week of the Olympics. Yeah. I was, I was like embarrassed, and I don't know, man. It was just a mess. Yeah. So pointers happens. You know, going back and forth to the track at the Olympics was like a two-hour ordeal. So you had to really plan your days. It was the last event of the game, so like you had to stay focused for the two and a half weeks you were there. <clears throat> You know, and I got to see the opening ceremonies, which was totally rad, but, like, the time that I was there, it was, like, just overshadowed by the whole mask issue. Yeah, know? was it? Yeah, it was, man. It was. I mean, even now, like, I, this year is the only year I've actually hung anything up from the Olympics. Hmm. Because I was, like... Why did it affect you so much? Well, dude, I had this blog on, uh, Victor Your Fever or whatever. Yeah. No, it was, um, Curtis's website. Missing saddle. Oh. And I was getting like death threats and all this other shit and like all these like death threats? Yeah, dude. And like people were all up in arms. And the funny thing is, is like I mean the Chinese Olympic Committee wasn't even upset. Like hey, they, yeah. Fourth, what? 
You said to fix your fever. I talked to Jim Miller. Jim Miller and I had a funny story about tracks. With a time where, uh, remember there was that crash in uh, L.A. I oh, dude. Armstrong, right? Yeah. Jim Miller's recount of the story was that he came to uh, my and Danny's room and yelled at us. And I was trying to insist on him, like, no, no, you went to Friedman and Huff's room. He doesn't think that. He thinks he went to my and Pate's room. Didn't he go to your guys' room? Dude. I don't even, did he yell at Huff and I? What would he yell about to us about? Like you, you came to me and said that he came and like he was like really mad about what you wrote on Fixed Gear Fever or something. Oh yeah. Did he come to your guys' room and like? Dude, I forgot about that post. Yeah, but didn't he like come to your guys' room and like say what the fuck? Yeah, there was a whole. Yeah, because like yeah, he, this is how much Jim Miller hates me. Is he thinks he came to my room and yelled at me? <laughs> and I was like, no, brother, you would. I was not even in the room. I heard about it. And he's like, no, no, no. I remember yelling at you. That's awesome. He thinks it was you. <laughs> Jim, it was me, man. Uh, <clears throat> but so, you can still hate Mike. Yeah, no, I'm sure you can still hate me. But, uh, so you do Olympics. Olympics night. Dude, that was insane, though. They crashed. You didn't even check on you, man. Whatever. Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. Um, so you do the Olympics. Not that great. How, did Dude, we got dead last in the Madison. Okay, great. Madison starts, right? Yeah. It's 250 laps. I didn't slept all week. We're doing all this track training, right? Whatever. <clears throat> it's a two days before closing ceremonies. This is when our race is happening. Most of the other people there have raced. You know, like New Zealand's got a team that's done like the pointers and like something else where they, they switched it. So I had no opening. Bobby had no openers really. We just go into the track. We're going to do what we had to do to get ready to do this race. We're going to do the Madison. And <clears throat> it's 250 laps, I think. Yeah, 250 laps. And we're 50 laps in. And we're holding good position, like, you know, top five. I'm sorry, tw 25 laps in. We're doing top five. Bell goes, whatever, and we lose a couple spots, and we're dangling a little bit. And Like, 50 laps in, we're already a lap down. Yeah. 100 laps in, we're like two and a half laps down. You know, by the end of it, we were four laps down, and I was, like, skipping Bobby, you know? Like, I was just racing, you know? Like, like I don't know if it was pressure or if it was the olympics or if it was just like on a really low point of fitness but bobby just wasn't firing in all cylinders and i probably wasn't either you know yeah, yeah. but like we were just going as hard as we could and losing ground and at a certain point you know it was just faster for me to just stay in and just hold on and we were like we somehow i mean we didn't get pulled you know yeah. we finished 16th dead last at the olympics and i was super embarrassed about that but like i realized that you know, I couldn't even walk after the race, dude. I gave everything to finish dead last, you know? Because yeah. I was proud to be there. I mean, I wanted everything I ever wanted to do was get there, you know? But I was... I think with time, with time, you'll appreciate it more and more. It's yeah. hard to, like, like we were saying earlier about appreciation of being on the team. I think yeah. immediately, you don't really feel it because... You, you, dude, you go... Feel. Yeah. I mean, I am... Dude, I'm pretty proud of it. I mean, I have a picture over there with me, President Bush, in the green room. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. like, I met the president twice. He remembered my name at the Olympics. Because I was sweating at the White House and he commented on it, you know, yeah. like I have these crazy, yeah, bizarre stories. Though, so hey, man, it's still pretty cool. <laughs> Republican. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but so, did you do any more road racing for Slipstream after that? Or after the Olympics, yeah, it was like a slap in the face, sort of, because I was tracked at this point because I'd come home in June or May after Philly and just started focusing on track. And the Olympics were in August, so I'd just been doing track, 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 at altitude, with no coach. I was just going to the track and doing motor pacing with Mark Tyson 
and sleeping at 14,000 feet, well, 13,000 feet. I would drive up with Kojak, Danny's dog, and sleep at high altitude to get ready for the Olympics. I had no coach. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was yeah. just, like, riding around, you know? <clears throat> so, after the Olympics, I got signed up to do... None of the big guys on Garmin wanted to do, like, Giro de Piedmont, Giro de Lombardia. Sure. Um, I think... Uh, Perry Tours during that time too. I yeah, think. That's what you're yeah. So I did Perry Tours with his with like Zabriskie and those guys, and that's when Zabriskie rode off the front in his time trial gear. Sure. Just real slow, did a slow attack, and then Piedmont and Lombardi. And dude, I was do those races. I don't even do those races when I'm fit. You know, like they wouldn't send me when I was fit, but they're gonna send me there when I'm like track fit and like yeah. much bigger. You know, yeah. like. I got my ass handed to me. I remember going past Horner singing a song like uh, Fat Guys on a Little Climb or something like that. And, like He just started laughing as I was just getting dropped. Anyways, Zabriskie <clears throat> passes me. He's like, hold on, you know, whatever. We had like 15K left of this climb. I get over the top and catch him on the descent. And Zabriskie's like, no fucking way. But I was so big and just yeah. like, I was just a missile. So, anyways. Did you... Was that your last year on the team or was it... Last year... We had Missouri. Was it Missouri after that? Yeah, I think it was Missouri. No. It was the one the one was Missouri, yeah. Dude, that, I'm wrong. 2008 and then 2009. 2009 is my last year. Okay. But I did Lombardi and Piedmont. Why do you think the bars in every day? There's a number of reasons, man. You know, I mean... Cliff Notes. Cliff Notes. Well, you know, dude, he, he stood by my side for... Four years, you know, I had the blood clot in my lung, nearly died from that, and then, you know, I did the Olympic thing, so I did the track. He supported me through that, <clears throat> and there were moments I did good things on the road, and there were moments I did bad things on the road. And I think where he was taking his <clears throat> his business was, you know, elsewhere. They'd done the track, they did the track, they got the Olympics, and then it was time for Plan B, you know. And um, what do you think he expected out of you that you didn't give, or get, or do? I would say probably consistency. Yeah. That's probably a good word for it. I mean, everything, you know, like, I mean, there were good things about it, you know, but being inconsistent in an environment that kind of demands consistency can be tough. Directors like reliability. Yeah, totally. And when you got a rider, like, I remember one time I had bottles, like, we can get back to the field, you know? Like, so it's just, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those races where, you know, like, you remember the bad, you know, so many races I was fantastic rider but there's those races you're like damn how could you not even get back to the field with them well i had 80 bottles in my bag but still it happens yeah it happens yeah Yeah, been there so but you know i mean so so you it's probably pretty hard to take at the time though dude it's super hard to take because he lied to me what do you say well this is at tour missouri i was sitting fifth overall the second time I did Tour Missouri one year and I got in the big breakaway that got away and I got fifth overall right and then it's like two years later and I'm sitting fifth overall again <clears throat> and I think he said something along the lines of like you know if you if you hold fifth you, you'll you'll have a spot on the team next year and I was super hopeful I wanted to stay on the team dude it was like the dream job I mean sure. it was fun man we're living in Europe making decent money you know single like traveling the world it was fun man it was awesome and so I really wanted to make like hold on to that, and I could see that it was I was losing grip, you know. 
so I was like really believing him and like you know like everything he'd always said was pretty much true I mean he always stood by it and I think the next day Peyton and I walked out to the team bus and Matt Johnson remember Matt Johnson mm-hmm. he had left his computer laptop open on the table and like it's the team bus we weren't going on there to do anything else other than put our bags in and it had the 20, 2010 roster ready for ready for press release or something like that and like there's no inclusion of Mike Friedman in there. It's totally obvious, you know? And it's like, what the fuck? You know? And like, you know, Danny witnessed things. He's like, yeah, dude, that's pretty fucked up, you know? But instead of just Vodder's telling me to look for another team, he's just like, I didn't have a team until October, and that's when Beast signed me on Jelly Belly. You, know? you think maybe he was hoping that I'd do, like, last guy? I don't know. I don't know how the rules work. I mean, maybe. I, he was, like, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, maybe there's just, like, that one spot... You know, the funny thing about Jonathan is, like, I actually really like the guy. And some people, like, even on, on, you know, like, some people don't. But I, there's, like, a love-hate relationship with a guy, you know, and it's tough. Yeah. You know, well, like I you were saying earlier. I think when he's that, he has the DNA of a personable, funny, relatable guy. But then he takes on the businessman role. You know, like, yeah. and then you're wearing two different, you're two different characters. Yeah, and that's really hard for me. I mean, I for a lot of people, probably. For people who are his friends, it's really hard. Yeah. And I'm starting to appreciate that a little bit more as yeah. a director. Well, maybe there's a lot of guys on the team, when I came to it in Smart Stop, that I was like, yeah, I think you're all right. I think you're all right. And as the roster took shape, I was like, oh, shit. You know, like, all of a sudden... You're all like, put between a rock and a hard place because you're playing with people's dreams, sort of, in a way. Especially on Division Three team. Yeah, Especially totally. There's no... There's not... You you fall from a pro tour team. There's usually D two or D three team that can catch you. Yeah, like me. You fall from a D three yeah. team. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Not a lot of sideways movement. But uh. But anyway, so you yeah. got Jelly Belly real good. Now you're on Optum. That was yeah. fun, man. Optum's a fun team. Right? Optum is a fun team. Optum is an awesome team, actually. It really is. It's a good family. I mean. Yeah. I mean, I definitely am really glad I went out with that team, though. Yeah. Like, you know, especially when it was like you, Baj, uh, you, Baj, Kando, uh, Reed, you know, like some, there were some guys that were a lot of fun to. Dude, it was like hanging out with your best college buddies and trying Almost too much, though. Almost too much. Because yeah. there's some races that we just totally fucked off. Yeah. Just... Well, that year especially, dude, I don't know what we were doing that year. We didn't, we had. On paper, we had like one of the strongest teams in the country, and so we like, rode like shit. Like, oh, 11? It was like 11 or something? 2011, yeah. We sucked. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> we were really bad. We were so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when we did Cascade, and like our highest place guy was like maybe like 25th overall or some shit? Dude, there was a lot of races like that before Cascade. I but mean, we went I'm, to Europe that year. That was a sick trip to Europe. Yeah, we still didn't do very good in Europe, though. Yeah. You know what was the worst part about that year is that was the year they did tour of Colorado and uh, they did tour. That was the first year and we couldn't do it. And we couldn't do it and the day before I fly to Criteria Nationals I'm out riding around and I run into Frank Schleck and Jens Voigt on my roads. Huh. That fucking sucks. Yeah. At least but, you have the Strava record though. <laughs> we gotta close out with this. This is a good story. So, when you were living in the Springs people know there's a climb that's actually in the tour of Colorado this year. They've included it. Up Star Ranch, this Road Star Ranch, and it goes into a gated community to the zoo. Uh-huh. 
And it goes gate. up that climb. It goes up this climb. So the, this, there's this gated community uh, where the security guards are particularly aggressive. This so is your favorite road, dude. It's it's my road. They should give you the key. I, you should be the mayor of this I road. I live here. You yeah. cannot gate a road because it's a. So it's this climb, and they they added a neighborhood and they gated off. So there's another way to get to the zoo, but now this is effectively stop one climb of the zoo. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's bullshit. It is bullshit. So I as, as an act of protest, I ride around the gate, and the security guard will give me shit and. Generally, I just... Dude, you cyclocrossed it through people's yards to get yeah. around the gate. It's awesome. Yeah. It's your favorite The security road. guard will come give me shit. I just ignore him. Whatever. So, uh, Friedman and I are out riding. And I say, hey, we should do this climb. We were with somebody else. We were with Dr. Eric. Yep. So, we're with Doc Eric. And we say, look, the security guard's going to come. Just ignore him and he'll leave us alone. Whatever. So, sure enough... Maybe a half K up the climb. Security guard shows up, pulls across the road, tries to stop. Eric and I ride around. You stop and try to negotiate with the guy. I, yeah, I stopped. I froze. Like, this yeah. is the ego of Mike Friedman. I, he, I, thinks, he thinks he can talk himself around the security guard. Well, look, I stopped because... Yeah, I stopped. All right. And I told you not to stop. You know why you stopped? Because you, you believe that you could talk your way in. No way, dude. Then why did you stop? Maybe it was the way he pulled up an aggressive and I just stopped and clipped. I don't know. I don't know why I stopped. You guys you thought, you thought you could turn. You thought you could talk your way around him. I know that's why you did it. You Dude, the, lo- the story I told him was like a complete lie. I mean, I... <laughs> so, so, so Eric and I arrived like, you know, maybe 200 meters up this road to a level spot in the climb. And we're looking and I'm waving at you like, just come on. And you're just like, I see you just oh, yeah, Josh. Yeah. Do you even know what this guy said to me? Well, I guess we'll get there. But... <laughs> No, tell me. What did he say? So you guys are standing at the top of the hill. You're yeah. waving at me. And this guy is standing in front of me. He's like, you know, you're not supposed to be down here. This is private property, private road or whatever. And I was like, what are you, what are you talking about, man? I live down there. These are my buddies. And he's like, what's your name? Where do you live? And I was like, 162. My name is Mike Swazanski. Swazanski. Yeah, I tried to think of a name that was like totally out there. And Scott was the only name that came up that was yeah. out there, you know? And he's like, there was no Mike Suzanski who lives here. He, like, knew who, like, everyone who lived there. You know, private community they never yeah. know, you know? And he's like, if you turn around right now, you won't get in trouble by the cops. But your other two friends, they're going to get in trouble. Sure we will. Yeah. So, and I was like, okay. So, so, so I, you clip in. So, from my point of view, you clip back in and you start to head down the hill. Like, you, you, you lean well, towards yeah, the hill. So, he turns his back. And then you juke back. Towards him and around him, and this fat fuck starts chasing you. And you realize, like, he takes his CB radio over him, threw it at you, which you didn't see, missed you, and caught the lip of the curb, and his radio exploded. <laughs> so you could like radio 30, 30 pieces. And Eric and I laughed so hard. Mm-hmm. And we're like, we're only halfway up this climb. Like, so now you catch up to us, and he's, like, chasing us, and we're having this sprint out of this climb laughing. So, Freeman, the reason I bring that story up, one, because it's funny. Two, I'm out riding today, and I know I'm going to podcast with you, and I think I have to do this for complete, like, full circle. I have to go do this climb today. So today, boom, go around the gate. <laughs> oh, fuck. Five, six hundred meters of the climb. Sure enough, there he is. He blocks the road. He gets out and he grabs me and I say, don't touch me. Don't touch me. 
He starts putting his arms out, and he's saying, now you're touching me. Now you're touching me. He's blocking the road. The same guy. The same guy. He's, so he now he's his arms out. I have to unclip, and I'm trying to walk around him, and he keeps bumping me. He's like, no, you're touching me. You're touching me. You're touching me. And does, my favorite thing is people threaten to call the cops because, like, who the fuck cares? Call the cops. Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, it happens all the time. That's the best argument to say. I'll call him for you. Here, I'll yeah. call him. 911. <laughs> so anyway, the guy, like, shoved me and, like, pushed me around. Like, I finally, this happened today. Today. So I finally, like, got around him. <laughs> I, I, I think I, I, I was, I mean, I will own up that I was really mean. I said, get out of here, Zimmerman. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and uh anyway so I just thought that that's was... so likely like you you know we should take him a Christmas present <laughs> I I uh, I hate yeah anyway I could go on, on but... whatever dude there's a lot of stories here man mm-hmm. no we can do a two hour podcast but I, yeah I gotta, that's cool man I no thanks for stopping by we'll do like we'll do like multiple podcasts yeah we're gonna have to organize it a little bit cause it's all over the place well, I'll be at like NRC races and stuff. Yeah. No, I mean like the story, whatever you yeah, want to no, say. Yeah, no, you just whatever. remember story. So Freeman, let's try to get a theme going here. I, I've been starting podcasts now as I try to remember something embarrassing about my childhood, something embarrassing that I did. Like uh, the last one I did. Um, I would love to hear it was embarrassing to you. Oh yeah. So like, just sit. Like, this is you owning up to your embarrassment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, sort of. Yeah, but I do them, like, on my own volition. I don't... Hey, man, you remind me of a story. I gotta tell the story. Alright, so anyway. I, I don't know. I do it in the intro of the podcast. Yeah. So I haven't done mine yet. It's so fitting. Like, but, like, the last one I did, I did, like... I used to love Pace Salsa so much... Yeah. ...that they had the phone number in the back. I was, like, 9 or 10 years old, and I called Pace Salsa to tell them how much I loved their podcast. And I kept them on podcast on their salsa... And I kept the lady on the phone for maybe 10 or 12 minutes. I wouldn't let her hang up. What did you say? Oh, that's how much I love the salsa. And you were 10? Yeah. <laughs> did you get any free salsa? No, no, no. She was just really annoyed. She couldn't get me off the phone. <laughs> huh. <laughs> so fucking... I was a dumb kid. That doesn't seem so dumb. I'm, I put you on the spot. So You want me to tell the embarrassing story? Embarrassing. Another one? Yeah. Jeez. It doesn't have to be, like, horrendous. No, dude, there's so many that none of them are horrendous. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. you got to remind me of something, and then I'll go off of it. Remember the time when you did this, and then I'll probably... Yeah, no worries. We don't have to do it. I was just wondering if you remember. Pay a bunch. Thanks for doing the podcast, buddy. Yeah, dude. Thanks for stopping by, man. Ha <laughs> ha